waiting for this day happy birthday george benson born in 1943 he was born the man was born his album breezen certified triple platinum hit number one he's released 30 albums and there's a pop side to george benson yes but many might not be aware that he is considered one of the great jazz guitarists of all time alongside the likes of wes montgomery joe pass and jim hall Julia Hartley-Moore, you may have hated the alarm, but you can't dislike this, right? I love George. Oh, love stop it. One. Who doesn't, hey, Simon? I bet you're grooving. <laughs> <laughs> love it. No? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Give Me the Night it was uh, from the Quincy Jones-produced album of the same name, and it's a fantastic album. And if you haven't, uh, or if you're not a fan of George Benson, I do suggest you dip your toes in and check it out. Speaking of alarms, <coughs> my alarm is Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles. That's the perfect alarm. Bird oh, song. No. <laughs> You're very hard to please today, Julia. You're very hard to please. I'm, I'm going to have to put this on your Wikipedia page. <laughs> it's not going to do you any favours. <laughs> <laughs> Wallace Chapman tends to love bird song and terrible alarm uh, um, uh, wake-up calls. Yeah, uh, bird song wake-up alarm option is on my phone. Wallace, we have friends in the States who wake to the sound of the Gregorian chant. Blissful, says Gillian. Wallace, the best alarm ever is my two-year-old schnauzer who wakes every morning at 6.43 a.m. with a high-pitched squeal. My perfect alarm says someone is good vibrations by the Beach Boys, and Gordon says Julia Hartley-Moore just nailed it on the head. That was a god-awful alarm. Not again, please. (laughs) All right, all right, all right. You're on the panel, uh, NZ National. Well, with endless options for entertainment nowadays, it might not surprise you that kids aren't reaching for books as much as they once did. But a new report has shown just how far our children's reading ability has plummeted. Titled Now I Don't Know My ABC, it discovered that by the age of 15, two out of every five Kiwi kids are failing or only just meeting literacy standards. Joining us now is the lead author of that report, Dr Nina Hood, who is also at the University of Auckland Faculty of Education and Social Work, a senior lecturer there. Dr Hood, kia ora. Kia ora. You say it shocked you. It did. I mean, I knew that things weren't great in terms of where we were at with literacy, but I didn't realise the magnitude of the problem. Um, So I was really shocked. Um, And I think the more research we did on this report, the more shocking it became. Yeah, uh, there's going to be some news out this on Friday. And I I understand that the government has acknowledged this uh, and there'll be an announcement made about this. But look, let's just look at the bare facts. Gosh, two out of every five New Zealand children are failing or only just meeting literacy standards by the age of 15. Why? That's a great question. And 
the answer is there's no easy answer. Um, mm. We know that literacy is a multifaceted issue, so there are lots of things um, going on. But some of the things that we highlight in the report are around teacher knowledge and making sure that teachers are using effective pedagogy to teach children the whole way through school. So that's something that's really important. And just to be clear, that's not the fault of teachers. This is a systemic issue. So we're looking at well, what's contributing to that. We've got to look at how teachers are trained in their initial teacher education. We've got to look at professional learning. We know that we've got an issue with the nature of interventions that we provide to students who are struggling with learning to read and write um, and making sure that those are high quality and consistently available. And then we've also got a whole range of things that are going on, not just within schools, but also in broader society. So we know we've got an issue with absenteeism and transience among our students. And if a student's not in school, it's really hard for them to be learning. Yeah, just picking up on that as well, I mean, the, the, the chronic absenteeism, uh, that's been an ongoing issue, hasn't it? And we've, just, we've covered this on the panel as other RNZ shows. But look, 2019, 57% of students were classified as regular attendees. So uh, I can imagine that's a strong thread in all of this. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, it goes without saying, really, that if you don't have children in school, it's very hard for them to be developing the full range of skills that you really want them to be. And that's not just an issue for literacy as well. That goes for achievement across the curriculum. Okie doke. Well, let's uh, bring in our panel. They're sure to have thoughts and comments on this. Julia Hartley-Moore. Well, look, it's interesting because I just think, what about before school? I mean, I'm dyslexic with letters and numbers, and but it wasn't found. No one knew it until I was 40. Um, so, But I was always given books as a child, and my parents were avid readers. So you know, I think a lot of it comes from what is in your early life. What if you can be taught things in your early life before you get to school? That's what needs to happen. So, um, well, let's get the facts around that. Is is that is that in fact the case, Doctor Hood? That uh, literacy uh, does stem from an early age, and in fact, reading to uh, your toddler might be a precursor. Absolutely, we know that what happens in the first right. years of life have a huge impact in terms of later um, literacy achievement. So things like oral language development, so talking with your children, the, okay. you know, the, the rich language environment, but also you're right, reading to your children and reading in an interactive way. So it's not just a, here's the book, let's read it from start to finish, but let's oh. actually interact around the story and talk about what's happening. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. Simon? It is really interesting that there is a... Uh, you, you know, such a measurable literacy issue here. As um, for years, people have been wandering into new school environments and, um, you, you know, wondering about the change. And I've often thought that part of that is, you know, people love to say, oh, well, how things are taught now don't make any sense and we should be doing, you know, the three R's and rote learning and the like and kind of miss all the cool things happening. And um, I've really observed with our kids, and I mean, we're, we're very lucky in the schools that they go to and have been to, and that they're learning such interesting um, theories of learning things and how to search up information and how to present it, you know, through video and uh, making web pages and doing things that feel kind of far more practical, engaging and useful than a lot of the kind of maybe more rote things that, that I experienced as, as a student. So I've always tried to keep a really open mind when I'll look at a book and not really see, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the basics so heavily. 
But yeah, like, where does this fit in? Um, has it swung too far one way, do you think, Dr. Hood? Uh, or do you think that, um, you know, there's, there's a way to kind of bolster some of the cool things that kids are, are learning? Oh, I, I think you make a really great point. And I think, you know, one of the things we know, particularly as students progress through their time in school, so when they're in the upper levels of primary and into intermediate and secondary, we know that some of the critical things that we need to be doing with our students is developing things like your critical literacy skills. So how do you engage with the range of information that you have access to, not just through books, but also online, and how do you mediate that? Um, how are you doing, how are you thinking about how we engage with literacy, both reading and writing, and also in terms of broader communication skills? So how do you present some of the information you're learning orally? So we absolutely need to make sure that we're encompassing a wide range of things when we're talking about literacy. Needless to say, Dr. Hood, there is a really big response to this. In fact, can you direct them to the email because there's just a lot of coming through on the text, uh, and that is the panel at rnz.co.nz. And we could go longer on this. So if someone says, can uh, Nina talk about the digital overuse perhaps of iPads distract a distraction at home at school? But I want to read out an email from Connie to you. Kia ora, Wallace. In regards to reading level of children and young adults, I am tired of listening to people saying teachers must do more. I'm an English teacher and I cannot help but think that tech has become our enemy in regards to in-depth reading. It's a battle in every class for students to get off their cell phones, social media games. I can almost hear you, Wallace, saying teachers must be more assertive in this regard, but the technologies we have now are far bigger and more powerful than any education department can do. It is up to all of us, parents included, who must recognise this and be proactive collectively. It's a societal issue. Dr. Hood, do you want to respond? I agree wholeheartedly. So we definitely know that something's going on with the digital. And um, the research is uh, not exactly clear-cut in this, mm. but we do know that too much um, engagement with the digital in particular ways um, can have an impact on literacy and achievement across the board. And I think picking up on that point around this being a societal issue and not just an educational issue is absolutely critical because it is. And it's, that, and it's a societal issue for a couple of reasons. One is that it's influenced by factors outside of just the education system. Um, we know the role that family plays in terms of literacy, but also if we think about the broader implications of having a large proportion of our students not leaving school with the necessary literacy skills, that's an issue for all of us. That's something that affects the whole of society. Um, and I think it's really important for us to remember that. Mm. Good to have you on the program, Dr. Hood Kia ora. Um, That is Nina Hood, uh, who's the author, co-author of a report. It's called Now I Don't Know My ABC, which discovered that by the age of 15, two out of every five Kiwi kids are failing or only just meeting literacy standards. It's quite something, isn't it, Simon? And a, and a great snappy name for the report, uh, on a lighter note. Uh, but yeah, and to pick up on what the, the principal who emailed before saying about the workload teachers have had to be, and schools have had to be a stable force. And uh, th through the last couple of years of pandemic and shutdowns and rostered days home and the like, you know, it's been um, a remarkably hard time for teachers. And we've been very lucky with the great communication uh, we, we, we've received from our, our schools and all of that extra work they're doing to settle people and put, put, put the community at ease and, and guide people through it uh, is on top of everything else they're trying to do. So, yeah, it's an amazing effort. Okay. 
Uh, meanwhile, your alarm tunes keep coming. Your alarm messages are Wallace uh, on Julia's side wholeheartedly. Their, their alarm tune is vile. It's silly. It's annoying. It's asinine. I accidentally set something similar as a reminder, and I loathe it, but I do not know how to get rid of it. I wake to the radio. RNZ National, of course, says Leela. It is 15 to 5. The panel, RNZ National, Julia Hartley-Moore, and Simon Pound with me uh, this afternoon. New Zealand celebrated when a flood of expat Kiwis returned home following the first wave of COVID, but are we about to lose them again? With our borders reopening, many local employers are anxious about a possible brain drain as young Kiwis prepare for a return to pre-COVID institution of the Overseas Experience, or OE. Kia NZ is an organisation who work with expats. With me to discuss is Kia New Zealand CEO Tony Truthlove. Tony, kia ora, welcome to the programme. Kia ora, Wallace. Uh, are you concerned about this? Do you think that a brain drain is the right way to frame things now that our borders are opening up and they have they're you know they're opening up for well after quite some time? Yeah. No. Look, I I don't think brain drain is is quite the right way to look at it. Right. Um, here at Kia, as you mentioned, we've been working with Kiwi for over the last twenty years, and what we know is that Kiwi we are explorers. We head overseas, we come home, we mm. head overseas again, we come home. But this is actually a real asset for us. And the opportunity for New Zealand are the skills, the experience and the networks that these exploring Kiwis bring home to us. So yes, there may be um, a bunch of young Kiwi about to head overseas. I'm really excited for them. And there might be a bit of, of short-term loss of talent there. But there will also be a long-term gain in globally connected Kiwi when they come back to us. The, some of the responses I've heard, uh, Tony, are from people, they are really excited and expectant about, um, with a little bit of trepidation, but overall extremely excited about discovering the world again. Do you get that sense? Yeah, absolutely. This is, you know, we we are a small island nation on the edge, edge of the world and in order to maintain our global connectedness, we, we need this flow of our people around the world to bring back the knowledge and the, you know, understanding of larger markets and to have these amazing cultural experiences and, and to bring that back to us. So I totally agree with that excitement. Well, let's bring in Julia, who's done an incredible amount of international uh, travelling, haven't you, Julia? And uh, in fact, uh, uh, you've also brought back skills as well. Um, I don't know that 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 I have particularly. I think I um, well, I might may have, uh, but we I do a lot. I do an awful lot of travelling, but I also think there's be a lot of young people, and I know a lot of young people that are leaving and staying away. Um, just because of the cost of living, better wages, all of those things. So as much as, yes, a lot do go and come back, there's a lot that go and stay away. Tony? Yeah, well, look, our our data, so Kia's been tracking uh, with our community for the last, you know, number of years around who does tend to come home. And what we find is that... uh, on an average year, around 40% of our community at any one moment in time are planning a return home. So if you think that we've got you know, upwards of a million Kiwi overseas at any one time, getting 40% of those 
sort of a regular flow of those home is, is probably a, a pretty good number. Um, we know that cost of living is a real challenge. Um, coming back myself five years ago, it was a bit of a shock. But, um, you know, you are coming home for culture, you're coming home for family. And so we, we do kind of work too hard to try and, you know, find a way to make it work. Okay, so the data bears out, and you've been tracking this for a while, the data does bear out uh, that people actually do return uh, in the end uh, at some state of their uh, careers or lives. Simon Pound. Yeah, like it's really cool the way that at a certain point we, you know, you get a brain gain when these people come back. And we saw a lot of that with the pandemic bringing people home. But I think um, I think I would be a little bit concerned at the moment where um, it's so much easier for um, people starting out in their careers now to um, get on the housing, uh, get into the housing market or establish themselves in markets with higher wages, lower housing costs and lower cost of living. And um, it may be a slightly different situation than we've seen with career professionals going over and working in top careers to actually a lot more like the people who've been decamping to Australia to just make entire new lives there. If uh, the, You know, there's a real concern if we don't um, actually do something to address the extraordinary cost of, um, of, of housing and, and, and this generation being kind of priced out of it. Um, people might just go to a place like Melbourne where you can get on the property ladder a lot easier. It's a fair point, Ryan, isn't it? Uh, it, look, it absolutely is. It, it is a challenge for, for us all. I think, you know, with the borders being closed for the last couple of years as well, we do have a bit of a relationship re-establishment to do with some of these Kiwis who are overseas. But I think, you know, my, my message is absolutely that they will bring value home with them in all sorts of different ways and that we should be seeing them as a bit of an asset when, when they do come home and we should be welcoming them and, um, and getting them into Kiwi businesses where they can help add value. Very good, Tony. Kia ora. Thank you very much. Uh, that is Kia NZ CEO, Tony Trulove. Although I'm just reading the, um, there was an article actually in the paper about this very, very thing. The gap between average weekly ordinary time earnings is large between here and Aussie. Uh, NZ 1878 in Australia and $1,392 in New Zealand. Although tax paying New Zealanders in Australia are not entitled to many state provided services. So that is a bit of an issue, isn't it, Simon? Yeah, yeah, I think the a lot gap, of people make it work, gap. though. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Are you looking forward to um, heading overseas again fairly soon, Julia, or when the border's opening? Do you have any plans or what? Well, what? not not immediately. No. Wallace. I'd, like to, I'd like to see things settle down yes, just a little bit. Indeed. But I will, I will be looking forward to a trip. But, you know, I'm more Europe and Middle East me. So I'll be looking forward to a trip then when I feel it's kind of a little safer. Okay. Uh, Julia Hartley-Moore, Simon uh, Pound with me today and a very large response to uh, the literacy issue. Jen says, when I was a big reader. Then I started playing games and stopped reading for a while. I was amazed at the effort required to start reading again. So much more concentration was needed. We need to get kids off their devices for part of every day, says uh, Jen. Librarian here from a very well-resourced, well-supported and bigger-budget school library in an independent school. Even when surrounded with wonderful new engaging books, students are drawn to their devices and social media like magnets. In our library, we work very closely with teachers and students, but the devices, well, they can be an unwanted distraction. Yes, they are a valuable learning tool, but there is a downside as well. So that theme is 
really coming through this afternoon on the panel as well. Now, you might recall the dancer mat. It was one of these things that came to symbolise post-quake Christchurch. It's simple coming together of citizens in tough times to have a bit of a public boogie on a concrete pad with speakers. And, well, it really grew into something. In fact, the dancer mat is still there many years later. But it needs a little TLC. The discusses is Coralie Wynn from Gabfilla, who's behind the dancer mat. Coralie, good afternoon. Welcome to the panel. Kia yes. Um, thank you for having me again. For those who aren't familiar with it, describe what it is. Yes, uh, it is a, a rectangular sprung wooden dance floor with at each corner um, pole uh, with a, a speaker at the very top inside a yellow box. And then there's a mirror ball suspended in the middle of the floor with, with wires. And then um, the, the most important aspect is the ex-laundromat a washing machine um, that's been converted and that's where we get the dancer mat, laundromat. Um, so $2 gets you half an hour of lighting and sound. So it's a public amenity. I want to know how it started and why it started because at its heart, oh. it's just such a simple but actually quite an odd, <laughs> an odd thing to happen. It's just a concrete square where you can dance in public. Yeah, uh, yes. Um, well, you see... Well, after the quakes, we didn't. We lost um, dance spaces, whether that be dance studios or or clubs or anywhere really. A lot of those spaces were gone, and so it was about replacing amenity to some extent, mm. like providing a place to dance. It was actually an experiment into how people might behave in public, or an experiment into spatial and behavioural and social conventions. Because um, at the time, there were people that didn't think it would would be successful so um it really was yeah it was motivated by the quotes but then it's just been um so well loved and and so used by all sorts of different communities and people that it's kind of become part of the Christchurch landscape really it's kind of it's wonderful really so did you um, did you think that it would take did you did you think it would take 10 years old did you think it would take off the way it has No, I don't think we thought it would would last more than one or two years. I think the idea came together at a cafe in Addington where they have a wee laundromat out the front. And it was just that moment of kicking ideas around with someone and just at that moment of like, oh, laundromat, what could be coin operated? Oh, washing machine. Oh, dance. And then as soon as I remember those words coming out of my mouth, I was like, ah, there's something in there. And I think... Gap filler and huh, all of the amazing. so many of the projects. Yeah, I think that playful twist on the familiar is something that Gap filler is quite strong at over the years, and I think that's what makes it so successful. Is because this weird-looking washing machine in the middle of a, a space, and then everyone knows what that is, but it does something completely different to what you expect it to. And so, I think it. Yeah, people love that playfulness, <clears throat> and they love that it's such an accessible, welcoming, fun place. Julia, don't you love this? Oh, look, I think, Wallace, I was, we talked to Coralie last time when I was on with Guy Williams and we, we, we were saying what amazing thing. He danced on it. I haven't, but I would yeah. love to because I love dancing and I think it's a brilliant thing. I really do. Yeah, and we brought you back. Simon, let's jump in, Simon. <laughs> You'd have to be a right gamudgeonly rotter to be anything but all for this. Like, it's so it's cool, a joy. these bursts of unexpected um, creativity and... Yeah, such a cool thing to 
But so many people have ideas, but to have actually made it happen and to have taken it through, is it three iterations now and, and into, a, into a fourth? Like, that, that's so cool. It's such a cool thing to do for the, for the city. Oh, kia ora, thank you. Um, yeah, it's actually, well, some of it's still it's original, and it's original speakers and original wiring and some of the original floor, but it's had different, it's moved uh, in its fourth location, and it's been in the current location for seven years, which is, so it's next, opposite our wonderful library, the Tūranga, so, but it's time to move it because of the, the performing arts precinct and the new court theatre construction, so mm. I just kind of put off doing it up because it, we knew it was a massive project um, but until we knew we had to move it and now we have to move it it's time to not only redo it because it needs it but also to we've learned so much in the last um, 10 years of it being out in public to kind of put that learning into making it a new more robust newer technology and all of that like when we did it like Bluetooth didn't work properly like we couldn't get the Bluetooth signal from inside the washing machine to throw out so we had a headphone jack, a cord with a headphone jack but now Bluetooth technology's come yeah. a long way. So it's easy as. <laughs> the dancer mat is amazing. Watching parents dancing with their children is so lovely. We really, really need to keep it, says one. So on that, uh, and why we got you back, because you, you, you need quite a bit of cash to keep it going. Yes, we do. It's got no mean feat to move it. I think it's, a, it's it looks like it's simple, but it's actually quite complicated. So, so we do we, we do need to. So we're raising money on Boosted. Um, we need to raise $25,000, and we've got one week to go. And when I last checked, it was at 79%, um, and that's about just shy of 20 k But the wonderful thing is more than two, nearly 250 people have donated. So it's a lot of work to do crowdfunding, but it's lovely because the fact that so many people care about it really fits with the culpapa of the whole project and, and with Gatula, really. Good on you. Lovely to have you back again. And let's hope that you Thanks. can um, come back uh, and uh, give Otatahi another uh, 20 years, if not more. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yes, kia ora. I hope so. That is uh, Kylie uh, Wynn from Behind the Dancer Mat. Uh, meanwhile, um, some really positive feedback f- uh, from the listeners coming through about you, Julia. So thank you for being less so, less so for you, Simon, but um, you've, both been, uh, great. you've both been great on the panel. What are you doing tonight? What, what are you doing tonight, Julia? What's on, what's on, the, e- what's on the evening list for you? Um, uh, probably a glass of red wine because I heard it's good to to keep COVID at bay. Um, good on you. But, but, only, but only a glass. Nice to have Moderate. you on. Very Thanks. good. Lovely, lovely to Julia, be Julia, Simon, kia ora. You've been great. I'm Wallace Chapman. I'm back tomorrow at 3.45. See you then.